When you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21, and uh, we're going to start reading in verse 1. John 21 is the last chapter in the book of John, so it occurs after Jesus uh, has died and has been resurrected. And the title of my message this morning is The Last Night Fishing. That'd be pretty sad, wouldn't it? (laughs) For a number of us. But anyway, John 21 and uh, verse 1. Now, if you had already downloaded the app, you could have just got that out and you could be watching it on your iPad or your iPhone or your Android or whatever. You could turn to it in there in any version you like. So I'm reading from the NIV anyway. So John chapter 21. It says this, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped in the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing this net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and there were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. In 1983, while I was on a research trip for New Zealand Dairy, I had the afternoon or had the the weekend off basically in New York. And so I was enjoying doing a lot of touristy things. So... We went past Central Park, drove down 42nd Street, uh, down Broadway, which I had particular interest in because I've always been interested in um, shows and that sort of stuff. And, but one of the highlights of that, um, that weekend was going to the Twin Towers, the World Trade Centre. And so we, it was a bit of a wind blowing that particular day. How many people have been up to the top of the um, Twin Towers? Anyone? Two, three of us, three of us, everyone else, too late. <laughs> so we, there was a bit of a wind blowing, so we went up to the, on um, one lift up to the 55th floor, uh, you got out, got into the next uh, lift and went up to the 110th floor to the viewing platform and it was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And that's something that none of my family will ever do. It's interesting because a number of years later, Wednesday morning for us in New Zealand, on September the 12th, 2001, 
I was getting up for the early morning prayer meeting and turned the radio on to get the six o'clock news, then rushed into the TV, turned it on, and there were the pictures of the World Trade Center burning as those two planes uh, flew into it. And that really, really struck me because I'd been there. I could picture what it was like to have been on the viewing platform when the plane struck or in the lift while the plane struck or trying to get down the stairs. I'd been there. And uh, this week, just as I've done every year since, there was a memorial service for all those who were impacted by the events of that day. You know, often we get immune to disasters that we see on TV. Uh, They become so impersonal. But when we have been there, when we've actually seen the place, when we've actually walked in the place, then it really, really uh, begins to hit home. And when disaster happens to us, when our personal world is shaken, when we grow through crises, we always look to find something to hold on to, to bring stability back into our lives. The passage that we have just read finds an atmosphere of fear, an atmosphere of crisis, an atmosphere of bewilderment. Uh, The disciples have given up everything to follow Jesus. They followed him in the hope that he would set up the kingdom of God on earth. And it wasn't just the thought of heaven that made them so committed. They wanted to see change on earth. They they were with Jesus when he healed the leper. They were with Jesus in the room when a paralytic man was lowered down. And they saw Jesus say, take up your uh, bed and walk. They were with Jesus in the boat when he calmed the storm. They were with Jesus when he cast the demons out of the demoniac and saw uh, the pigs run off the edge of the cliff. They were with Jesus in the crowd when a woman with an issue of blood who had been uh, suffering for 12 years came up and touched his cloak and was healed. They were with Jesus when... He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. They were with Jesus when the Roman centurion came up to him. And Jesus uh, just spoke the word and the centurion's servant was healed. They were with Jesus when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. They were with Jesus when a few loaves and fishes fed the 5,000 and then later when He fed the 4,000. They were in the boat when Jesus came walking to them on the water. They were with Jesus when he healed the deaf and the dumb. And Peter, James, and John were with Jesus when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Moses and Elijah came to them. They were with Jesus, doing life with Jesus all this time. But when Jesus went to the cross, it absolutely shook their world to the core. All their dreams, all their expectations, all died on the cross with Jesus. And their world was absolutely crushed and they were scared and they didn't know what to do. What do you do? When you've given up everything to follow Jesus and your world 
is in disarray. You know, when we read about King David, when he got difficult into difficult situations, the first thing that he would do is cry out to God. And God always answered him and got him through. When King Jehoshaphat was being attacked by his enemies, first thing he does is he calls a national fast and cries out to God, and God delivers him. When we get into problems like that, that's what we should do. But Peter, when Peter's world is crashing around about him, what does Peter do? He says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples were going with him. I don't know why they did that. Matthew was a tax collector. He wasn't a fisherman. The reality was these guys were under so much pressure, they didn't know what to do. And a quiet night in the boat seemed like a good idea. Yeah, (laughs) I could say amen to that too. (laughs) I mean, if you've been in a situation like that, often we react more like Peter than we do David. And when we have problems, we tend to go back to the familiar and those things that we think will give us comfort. So Peter didn't get drunk. He didn't get high. He didn't cut himself off from everyone. He didn't go back to a damaging relationship. He didn't go on an eating binge, but he did go back fishing. He went back to what he used to do before he knew Jesus. Last week, I spoke to you about pathways to our destiny, and our starting scripture was Psalm 37, verse 23, and it says, The steps of a good man or a good person are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Well, this is one of those though he falls situation. Uh, Peter had absolutely blown it. He denied Jesus three times. He felt absolutely gutted inside. He was running scared. All the disciples were hiding out. It wasn't popular to be a Christian at that time because the authorities were out to get them. These guys in the boat, though, were the ones that Jesus had planned to be his witnesses and to build his kingdom. And while they're out there, the resurrected Jesus Christ turns up on the beach. The disciples had fished all night. They'd caught nothing. The interesting thing is, when you've known the Lord, going back to the old ways never satisfies. In fact, if you haven't figured it out already, don't bother backsliding because it'll be terrible for you. It's like, sitting on a barbed wire fence with one leg on one side and one leg on the other. It blimmin' hurts if you move. You can't enjoy what you used to enjoy, and you're not enjoying a new life in Jesus Christ, so you just need to make the decision just to jump over and be wholehearted towards God. Peter caught nothing, but then one word or one direction From the resurrected Christ, cast your net on the other side, and everything changed. And for Peter, this was deja vu. This this was the very miracle 
that drew him to Jesus in the first place. You know, it's, it's amazing how when, when God wants to refire us, when God wants to do something fresh in our, in our lives, it's amazing for me the number of times he reminds me of how I first came to know him. I remember. I remember what it was like to have my hand completely healed. I remember that thought of God is real. And not only is he real, but he loves me enough to answer my prayers. I remember that feeling of knowing that God had a plan for my life. And it was a good plan. I look back and I remember those things. And as I remember, it does something inside of me. As soon as Peter realizes that it's Jesus on the shore, he jumps out of the boat, swims the shore, and meets Jesus face to face. Jesus asks him in the passage next to the one that we just read a few times, three times in fact, do you love me? And it was that face to face encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ that absolutely changed Peter's life. You see, the passage that we've just read is the last time that it's recorded that Peter ever went back fishing. The next time we read about Peter like King David, like King Jehoshaphat, he's not hiding away. He's praying. And he's with a group of disciples in an upper room, and they're praying all night. They're asking God to intervene. They're asking God to break through, and God pours out his Holy Spirit on them. And Peter's life is completely changed. Next morning, they get up and preach to the crowd, and 3,000 people get saved in one day. And that is the start of just an absolutely fantastic, miraculous journey. But it's also the start of a new Peter, a Peter who has confidence in all the things that he'd learned through being with Jesus Christ. In fact, when he addresses the people, he addresses them not as Peter, the the reed blowing in the wind, he addresses them as Peter the rock, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Interesting, that title of apostle is a word that was used by the Romans. When the Romans conquered a city, they would send in an apostle or an emissary, and the apostle's job was to bring the culture of Rome to that place. The apostle's job was to bring the values of Rome to that place, so that the conquered city would be a little Rome. And an apostle brings the culture and the values of the kingdom to the places that they're involved in. And God wants us to be apostles or carriers of his grace and kingdom culture and kingdom value into every area of our lives. In fact, there are three areas that particularly stand out from this passage that we've read this morning. And the first of them is our occupation. God wants to transform the things that we do. 
Jesus wants to release his resurrection power into your occupation and multiply its effectiveness in extending his kingdom. As I look out this morning, we have people of all walks of life, people who are really, really talented. But no matter how talented we are, God wants to help us display his kingdom values, his kingdom culture to a world that desperately needs their transformation. He wants to make you the most invaluable employee in your workplace. I still remember starting work, 1975, in a little laboratory outside of Hamilton, a place called Martangi. I was 22 years of age. I wasn't the A student, but I did have a great heart for God, and I really wanted God to bless me, to bless his church. And I wasn't naturally creative, that I thought, but over the years, God just gave me amazing insights and ideas and abilities to be able to break through in the job that he given me. Uh, when God says, put me first, and I will pour out on you a blessing that is so big that you'll hardly ever be able to contain it, I'm a testimony to that. Started work in 1975. Over the next seven years, my salary doubled and doubled again and more than doubled again. So it went up nine times in seven years. I went from being a lab assistant to becoming the top technical executive in the largest co-op dairy company in the world. And at the age of 29, I've become one of the foremost authorities on dairy industry environmental matters in New Zealand. And that wasn't because of my abilities, people. Believe me. It was simply because God had chosen me to, to be blessed so that he could make me a blessing. He wanted to make me a conduit of his blessings. And actually, it was that job back then that set Penny and I up for when we left that employment and became a pastor. When I left to become a pastor, my salary went down to a third of what it had been. That was just the basic salary. But God had already blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. Now, God does it differently with each of us because our steps are different. And God leads us individually. I was with friends the other night and we were talking about how God wants to influence us and make us an influence. And I made the point uh, to my friend that um, God calls some people to finance the kingdom. He gives them the ability to make wealth. But for most people, it's, you're not in business to finance the kingdom. You're in business to bring kingdom culture, kingdom values into your workplace, into your local environment. You may be a successful business person, a successful teacher, a successful homemaker, a real estate agent, a salesman, a manager. Imagine what could happen if you would give yourself 
and your occupation to God and ask him to breathe on that and use it for the extension of his kingdom. You will never go back to the ordinary once you have experienced a supernatural transformation. Because of the things that God taught me in those early years, because of the way that um, God broke through into my life in the early years, it's impacted the way that I've lived ever since. It's interesting that the disciples, when they're in the boat, they looked to the shore, they didn't know who it was to start off with. But when he did a miracle in their life, they knew through the miracle that it was Jesus. And often we struggle to see Jesus in situations and circumstances, but when he breaks through and does the miraculous, when he guides and leads, you look back in those situations and you can say, oh man, God, you're just so good. You've had your hand on me all this time. He wants to transform your occupation with his power and his kingdom values and his culture. And so look for it. Believe for it. Expect him to be working in you and working through you. Secondly, he wants to transform our relationships with himself. Stephen spoke on this a couple of weeks back. Jesus said to the disciples, come and have breakfast. He didn't say, get cleaned up. He just said, come as you are. And God is always inviting us to fellowship with him. And it's always, come as you are. All through his word, he just says, come. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And all through the word, it's just, it's just come to me. We all need those fresh encounters with God. It's not just about him doing stuff for us. It's the power of intimacy and impact on our internal world that results in the external changing. If you want to sort out what's going on on the outside of your life, Sort out what's going on on the inside of your life first. Because everything flows from inside to out. The Bible says, guard your heart. For out of it comes the wellspring of life. In other words, life comes out of your heart. Jesus' resurrection power will transform our occupations, but it will also transform our relationship with him. Because he's always looking to encourage us. He's always looking to teach us. He's always looking to see us grow. He's always looking to see us change. He's always looking to give us his love and acceptance and forgiveness. And when we get a revelation of his love to us, we'll just know, we'll just know how, how wonderful the Heavenly Father actually is. And it's not about a whole pile of rules and regulations, but it's about knowing him and experiencing him. And you can't know him and experience him without having encounters with him. So expect him, believe him, hunger for it. And finally, he wants to transform our relationships with other people. After breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs 
and take care and feed my sheep. And our love for Jesus is always going to be reflected in our love for one another. Our love for the church. Our love for the lost. Because that's what Jesus loves. And as he shares his heart with us, then the things that he desires are going to be the things that we desire. When you let Jesus come into your relationships, he will breathe resurrection life into them and absolutely transform them. We need to love and accept and forgive others in the same way that Jesus loves, accepted, and forgave us. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, the one thing that should be a standout of people in this church is not great music, it's not great Bible knowledge, not a flashy screen or a great building. The thing that should stand out for people should be our love. Our love for each other and our love for those areas that God has put you in. When the resurrection of power of Jesus Christ is working and transforming our lives, then others will want to experience the same God that we have and the same life that he gives. Let's have the musicians come. Let me just close by telling you a little story about a, a really influential person. After World War II, a young Philippine student decided he would go to the United States and study law. First night on campus, he answers a knock on the door to his hostel room, and there is a young American student standing there who says, I've just come to welcome you to campus, and if there's anything that I can do for you, then please just let me know. The American student uh, talks to the Filipino and he says, so which church do you go to? And the Filipino student said, well, I'm a Catholic. And the American student says, oh, the Catholic church is quite hard to get to, but I'll draw you a map so that you'll be able to get there tomorrow. So he does, leaves. Next morning, it's pouring with rain. And the Filipino student decides, ah, oh, good morning for a sleep-in. And he is just about to turn over when he hears a knock on the door. And there is the American student standing there, raincoat, dripping wet, two umbrellas. And the American student said, look, it's pretty complicated how to get to your church. So I thought I'd come and I'll just walk with you and help you to get there uh, for yourself. So get stressed. Two of them up with the umbrellas, they start walking along. After just a couple of minutes, the Philippine student said, so where's your church? And uh, the American student says, well, it's just, just around the corner, actually. And the Filipino student says, well, why don't we go to your church today, and then we'll go to my church next week? 
So that's what they did. Never did get to the Catholic Church. Four years later, the Filipino student uh, finishes his law and decides that he will go to Bible college to become a minister. Goes back to the Philippines, and in uh, 1948, uh, that man became the bishop of the Methodist Church in the Philippines. Gospel of the two umbrellas. And while that bishop was a really influential person, the most influential person in that story is the student with the two umbrellas. And I just wonder, it's not hard to love people. It's not hard to just draw alongside people. You don't even have to preach for people to see your love. I mean, could you dare to be the person with two umbrellas? Uh, could you dare to ask Jesus to so transform your love for him and others that people will be willing to walk with you to the foot of the cross? Could you let Christ's power and presence transform your occupation and your relationship with him and people that you're be involved in because that's what he wants. Last night fishing. No more going back to the old way. But encounter with Jesus, transforming the way that we just do stuff. It can happen. It can happen in you. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's have the ministry team just come forward. Because as I was preparing this message, I really believe that the Lord just wanted to speak into people who are going through particularly difficult times at the moment.